0: Hi, this is Kimmy, and welcome to this week's quarantine-recorded episode of A Little Wiser. For the record, I am recording this in my 10-year-old daughter's closet in a sea of dirty converse. One of my intentions in starting these new mini-episodes is to connect you with even more wise and extraordinary people. Today, you're going to drop in on my conversation with Danny Shapiro, who is all of that and more. Danny is a New York Times bestselling author of her memoir, Inheritance. She is the host of Family Secrets Podcast, which has about 10 billion downloads at this point. Her work was inspired by her own Family Secret, which she talks about in today's episode. She also just launched a new podcast the way we live now during this time of covid danny is a masterful interviewer i was interested to go behind the scenes of how she produces and hosts family secrets and ask her advice on the art of a great conversation i've interviewed hundreds of people in two decades of being a journalist and i can say that in my 20 minute conversation with danny i felt like it was a Year of graduate school. Hi, Danny. Hi, Kimmy. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Um, I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm a huge Family Secrets fan, as are, I'm sure, many of our listeners today. and I actually just listened to the episode with David Kaczynski, mm-hmm. um, the brother of the Unabomber. And mm-hmm. I had um, many things to do during this quarantine and they were all put off. Cause I was like, I, I-, I can't stop.
1: <laughs> I love hearing that.
0: It's so good. I mean, I was ignoring children who were homeschooled. I'm like, no. <laughs> um, so um, anyways, it, it, it's wonderful what you've created. But you really are masterful at your art of storytelling and in the podcasting space, interviewing people. And I wanted to talk to you about that process. It's a shared, you know, process. I'm I'm on the same journey of you as interviewing people for podcasts. And I just think you have a lot to teach me and teach our listeners.
1: No, I love hearing that because when I started Family Secrets, you know, primarily I'm a writer of books. And when you're a writer of books, you spend all your time alone in a room just with the contents of your own mind. Um, And of course, I had certainly done some research and reporting and interviewing um, at various times as a journalist or when I'd be writing something that required it. But it wasn't what I would have necessarily thought was um, a strength of mine. And then when I embarked on Family Secrets, I mean, it's really just a matter of sort of turning the dial um, from, you know, writers and artists are witnesses. We witness the world around us. We're like sort of highly attuned to what we're noticing. And it's kind of turning the dial on that and really just hyper-focusing on another person and their story. I mean, when I'm recording one of those episodes for Family Secrets... An hour and a half could go by, and it feels like five minutes. I'm in that kind of flow. And I know, but for those who don't,
0: why secrets? Why were you drawn to secrecy and sharing stories
1: of secrets? Well, I had always, as a writer, been drawn to writing about family secrets, both in my novels and in my memoirs, but I didn't know why. And then... In 2016, I made a discovery from just having casually done one of those at-home DNA tests. Um, I discovered that I had been the family secret, that my dad had not been my biological father, and that my um, parents had really intended for me never to know that. And it was a really kind of earth-shattering revelation to make that discovery in the middle of your life. Um, And I began to write about it and I wrote my memoir, Inheritance. And then when I finished Inheritance, I started noticing that people were telling me their family secrets. Um, They just kind of had this almost reflexive urge. And I also started realizing that so many families have, secrets buried um, within them and it can be for all sorts of reasons and it's often out of love or out of a desire to protect, out of shame. And I just became really, really interested in hearing more about other people's stories and other different kinds of secrets and, and also what people do when we are when we make such a big discovery, when there's a before and after to the discovery of a secret. Um, and in the aftermath, what do we learn about ourselves and what do we learn about our lives? I was not so much interested in the you know, prurient, like, ooh, secret kind of aspect of it, more like, well, what do we do with this new information and how can we then move forth in our lives with whatever it is that we've learned? I was curious about,
0: A, if many of your guests are sharing their secrets for the first time with you, or if they've shared them widely with friends and family. And on that note, creating the safe space for them to share something that is so deeply personal and intimate that they've hid it from the world. How you create that space where where they now feel safe and sharing?
1: mm I love that question. Most of my guests have either spoken about or written about or in a in a couple of cases even made documentary films about their family secrets. Um, it's turned out not by design but just the way that it the way that I've chosen people that many of my guests are writers who have written about their family secrets, but it's a very different thing to craft a story in the privacy of your own writing space than it is to be drawn out about that story and to share it in um an intimate way with you know essentially a stranger, me. Um, and knowing that many, many people are going to be listening. Um, Dolly Parton has this great line, like, figure out who you are and then do that on purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, It was sort of like that. And one of the things with my guests on Family Secrets is that they know that I discovered a secret too, you know, that my interest in their secret is not clinical and it's not merely journalistic and it's not, I have no interest in sensationalizing anything about their story. Um, and so I approach it with a kind of um, we're in this together um, feeling because that is literally how I feel. I feel like I am there to honor their story and to hold their story. I I have the image of of literally of like holding the story in my... In my open hands. And, you know, my guests know that I'm going to shape the story. It's not um, a free form interview that is essentially going to be as we spoke. Um, I'm going to take a transcript that's maybe an hour and 15, an hour and 20 minutes long, and ultimately turn that into an episode that's about 30 minutes, 35, 40 minutes tops. So with my own narration and VO, um, to shape it so they have to really trust me in order to be able to like hand me their story essentially and i think that that comes out of the kinds of questions that i ask when we're kind of wading in to the conversation i instinctively began from the very first of these interviews that i did i've done 30 episodes now um In three seasons, I instinctively began with asking my guests to talk about the landscape of their childhoods. And then I would ask about their mother, and I would ask about their father. And, you know, when you ask people to talk about their childhoods and their parents, it yields such treasures. And it creates a kind of comfort or a sense of I mean, even if the stories are very uncomfortable, it creates, I think, a sense of ease in the storytelling. So that's how we sort of enter it.
0: You know, I think on on your show, and, and we do something similar on All the wiser, um, but on both shows, in the breadth of the breadth of telling the arc of their full stories, there's a realization, whether it's a self-realization or hopefully for the audience, that you're not the worst thing that happened to you and and that is something i think you do so beautifully in your interviews of really painting the picture of the entirety of the being um that you're speaking with how does curiosity play a role in your work and and how does it how does it relate to what you do
1: you know in in so many ways the you know, I think of these conversations as in music, in musical terms, sort of as like jazz, where I have to have something of a structure, something of a map for myself of where I think I want to go. But I also have to be really sort of radically open to. The twists and turns that the conversation will take. Because if I overly control it with my uh, perfectionism or my desire to, you know, I'm a very good student. I like to have all of my, you know, all of my facts straight and all of my information going into any interview that I'm doing or any conversation. But I also need to be able to toss it and be very present to what is going on. So if you saw my process while I was, if, I, if, if my guest isn't in the room, which most of the time my guest isn't, I have a notebook and scribbled in that notebook are pages of thoughts and questions. If the guest has a book, I have the book with me and places that I might wanna refer to. And I would say I get to about a third, maybe a half of the things that I intended To talk about, because I think when you talk about curiosity, that curiosity is almost synonymous with being in the present. If I'm worried about what I'm going to ask next, if I have rehearsed something or if I'm thinking ahead to my next question, then I'm losing what's happening in the moment. And what's happening in the moment is what's most alive.
0: Yeah, and I think there's there's the act of truly listening and there's also allowing space for pause and breath, because I have found that I'm sticking to my script and I have my questions and in that pause there may be a moment where they expand on the thought they take you down an unexpected road, so I really do Hear you on that balance of preparation and structure versus
1: allowing for stillness mm, I love that about stillness. yeah, I really think it's it's all three, right it's it's having it's having a plan. it's being willing to let go of the plan. It's having that kind of really powerful in the moment curiosity and the patience or the trust to allow those pauses to happen. If there is such
0: a thing that you look back and sort of reflect on the interviews that perhaps you're the most proud of, are there some common ingredients, you know, two or three things you say, yeah, when I walk away from an interview and I know it was the very best it could have been, these are
1: the three things that always happen? Hmm. That's a great question. I think if I am surprised by something that happens, um, that's always a very good sign for me. Um, If I am moved, as I often am in episodes of Family Secrets, um, that is also, and if I allow myself, you know, I think this is also a very delicate balance, right? Because to be an interviewer, is not to be absent as a personality or as, you know, to be a host of a podcast or, um, I mean, there's different kinds of journalism, right? There's the journalism in which the journalist is invisible, um, and is reporting. And then there's, there's also the kind of journalism where the writer and the writer's point of view and perceptions and, um, Uh, character is in some way a piece of it and striking that balance where you know if it's too much then it's the feeling of like enough about you (laughs) you know I thought you were interviewing me Um, but if it's too little then then the interviewer really could be anybody and it's not as interesting so I'm always like looking for the places, like, you know, in retrospect, where there is a moment, like, I'll give you an example. Um, this is an episode, upcoming episode of my my second podcast that I recently launched, The Way We Live Now. I interview a psychiatrist who's a specialist in addiction and recovery. And at the very beginning of the interview, I was, you know, sort of describing him you know, you're you're a psychiatrist, you have, you're the chief medical officer of this particular rehab. And that's what I had written down in my notes. But it's a rehab that's about an hour's drive from my house. And, and all of a sudden, I found myself saying, there's a cafe right near that rehab that I believe that people who have recently become outpatients are working at that's part of, and he just lit up. Um, that I knew that cafe and that I've gone in there and stopped in there for coffee myself and we talked about the feeling of the place and that wasn't in my notes Um, and that was me inserting myself a little bit but in the service of the story not in a completely sort of um, digressive kind of way.
0: I think people are curious in watching interviews and you talk about obviously... Things of weight, things of significance, pain and trauma, and what it looks like to come out of that. And that involves tough questions when you're asking people about things that are deeply sensitive. How, I think some people would say, how do you muster the courage? But I guess my question is, how do you. You navigate that as a listener with grace what is your what is your process with with that delicate balance of asking the questions you need to ask?
1: Mm. I think it comes from intent. Um, you know, I'm also someone who's been on the receiving end of a lot of those questions and I know how I receive those questions when I'm being interviewed and if it's coming from a sharp or harsh or judgmental place, um, then it feels one way, and it's not gonna yield a very fruitful response from me. But if it's coming from, again, genuine curiosity, but also from a kind and gentle and inquisitive place, like a genuine, I wanna know, I wanna know what that's like, then it feels very different. And we know the difference when, um, when that's happening. And the intent for me is really where those kinds of questions begin.
0: Do people ever call you after an interview
1: with regret, with doubt, questioning what they said? I have not had that happen. I've had it happen that I have wondered whether someone was too raw to have submitted themselves to the process. And I've wondered in one or two cases whether we should hold back or wait. And I've been convinced by my producers that it was fine. And indeed it was fine in the cases that I'm thinking of. But I think I have my guests back. Like the the person whose response I am most interested in when the episode drops, is my guest. And I would be um, I would be so upset if a guest of mine felt like I had gotten their story wrong. I mean, to me, that's what it's about. And so that kind of sacred back and forth, that kind of relationship between myself and the guest is what is most important to me. And so I'm not thinking about listeners. I mean, I'm thinking about listeners in the sense that I want to make sure that things are clear. If my guest says something that is either too esoteric or that I think listeners won't follow along, I'll ask the guest to break it down. So I'm aware that, you know, that I'm hosting a podcast and that people are going to be listening. But the person who I'm putting first is my guest. Do you think
0: the process of being interviewed on Family Secrets is cathartic?
1: for your guests, and for you? You know, I actually think that that might even be, in answer to your earlier question, something that I would add to my list of, that's how I know, that, you know, when I said something that surprised me, I actually think even more so something that surprised my guest. When a guest says to me, no one's ever asked me that before, or, huh, I've never thought of it that way, Um, Or when I can just feel or sense my guest putting something together that they hadn't entirely put together before, that is extremely satisfying.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, what I've experienced when, because it takes an act of courage to share yourself and your truth, but in sharing your truth, it often, you know, there's an exhale and allows you to be of service to others who've had shared experiences. And, and, you know, I I think that the same thing, the intention and watching that unfold or hearing that that unfolds is makes it all worth it.
1: Absolutely, Kimmy. And I think they were ways for me to process my own trauma, and to take action to do something to make meaning out of To turn shame instead into something liberating by voicing it and by realizing how completely not alone I am and how not alone we all are when we stop, you know, as they say in 12-step programs, like being as sick as our secrets. And I think for my guests, anyone who's willing to come onto Family Secrets is somebody who is ready and prepared to shed light on something that for for a time perhaps for a very long time perhaps even for generations has been something that has been in the corner in the darkness in this place of being stuffed away and to see that happening during the course of an episode and to know that that is a source of um relief and even liberation for my guests is incredibly satisfying and it's a source of relief and liberation for me. That's beautiful. Thank you for that.
0: What do you think is the weight of a secret?
1: Secrets don't go away. Uh, I think people who keep secrets do so with the fervent desire, wish, fantasy, that if something isn't spoken, that it just doesn't exist. And if it's packed away, hidden away well enough, it won't hurt anyone. Um, But what I've learned in my own experience, and also as someone who's become a student of secrets in many ways, um, is that what we don't know, maybe even especially what we don't know, shapes our lives. It invisibly shapes our lives uh, without our having any consciousness of it. And I think that when our lives have been shifted and shaped and eroded um, and orchestrated by secrets, our lives are being orchestrated by something that we can't even apprehend. And so when those secrets get voiced, get unearthed, get understood, it can be extremely painful and shocking. Um, But I think that that weight is lifted.
0: Yeah, there's a liberation and a lightness
1: that follows.
0: I can't end this interview without talking about your new podcast at this time in the world. You and I are both quarantined on opposite coasts. The way we live now, and I love, love this title and the whole in- intention behind it. But can you give our listeners a headline of what this new endeavor is about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so in the early days of quarantine, you know, home in my home in the countryside in Connecticut with my husband and son. And I started thinking about what, if anything, was making me feel connected um, or better, you know, but sort of connected to the outside world at this time when we can't gather. I was thinking about the way that when I would have a conversation with someone else, a friend or someone I was talking to professionally, and they would tell me how they are um, or where they are. I was thinking about the way that we would catch glimpses or the way we do now on on the news. We'll see talking heads or anchors. And they're in their homes. And they've got their bookshelves behind them. And, oh, what are they reading? And there's their cat or there's their kid. And there's something so enormously humanizing about that. So I, it came to me in a flash. I just thought, daily podcast, you know, like, what am I insane? Okay, daily podcast um, about the way we're living now, all different kinds of people from, you know, my very first episode is with a friend of mine who's a chef, you know, whose restaurant, of course, was um, shut down, um, who has been cooking every day for his community. Another episode is a nurse who works in a COVID unit, and a university president a college student, um, uh, you know, a singer-songwriter, uh, a movie star, you know, from the famous to the uh, completely, you know, just regular, everyday people living their lives, to people whose businesses have been, have been shut down, to college students who don't know if they'll be going back to college in the fall, um, a hotel owner in Italy who's there in his beautiful empty hotel, wondering. You know, what the rest of his season will, you know, entail. So every day, these like 15, 20 minute conversations. And, you know, just like Family Secrets, it's a gift for me as well because I'm getting to have these conversations with all different kinds of people. And not one single person that I've asked has declined. Not one. I mean, I spoke to Chris Murphy, Senator Chris Murphy, the great senator from from my state, Connecticut. Everyone's saying yes, because we're all, I think, longing to, um, to reach out to each other. And we have time. We're home for the duration of this pandemic. And um, nothing makes me happier than hearing from people, uh, listeners, saying exactly what I was hoping people would feel, which is, This is soothing. This makes me feel more human, more connected. I wanted it to not be part of the news cycle. I mean, I know for myself that the relentlessness of the news can really be crushing. And I wanted to offer something that would be an antidote to that while still talking about, you know, the human, you know, like I always ask my guests, what do you, What's bringing you hope? What's bringing you solace? I just feel that these things are really important now more than ever.
0: It's like weaving together the, the
1: human tapestry, the human fabric of this, of this moment, which... I, I can't believe you just said that because that's exactly the language that went through my head. I, I had a flash. I thought The Way We Live Now is the title. It's a daily podcast, and I want it to be a tapestry of voices that's literally what I thought. And you've just said it, so.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of service, I think the way we live now is of incredible service to the world at this time. So thank you for doing it. And thank you for doing it on a daily basis. I I, I don't think most people know what, what that takes in preparation and finding stories and recording. And as somebody who's been a journalist for 20 plus years, this is so helpful and insightful and inspiring for me as I continue my work. So thank you for that.
1: Oh, I'm so glad. It's my pleasure, and it was really a pleasure uh, to talk to you. And I hope that everybody who's listening who wants to make something goes and makes it. Because me too me now is the moment. Now is the moment. I mean, no pressure or anything. There can also be this like productivity pressure during quarantine, but there's something that is enormously healing, soothing, liberating about just, you know, just embarking on something, having the idea, and then going forth and making it.
0: Could not be more well said.
1: And thank you, Danny. I'm grateful to
0: introduce you to those folks listening who have yet to be connected with you, and hope everybody will tune in to Family Secrets and The Way We Live Now.
1: Thanks, Kimmy. Great to talk to you. Okay, take right. care. You too. Bye.
0: We will link to both of Danny's podcasts in our show notes, as well as her website, where you can find all the ways to follow her on social media. Presumably, you already have your earbuds in, so I would highly recommend hopping over and checking out one of her shows right now. Thank you again to Danny for making the time to speak with us during this quarantine and for her beautiful words and advice. I hope you learned something new about the art of listening and how we can all have more meaningful conversations in our lives. Take care, and we will be back with a brand new episode of All the Wiser next week. All the Wiser is produced by Erica Gerard at Podkit Productions. Our sound engineer is Kelly kramerick and our associate producer is Kessie Hollister. Thanks for being a part of the All the Wiser podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast read our show notes, or get in touch with us at allthewiserpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at allthewiserpodcast. And as always, thanks for listening.